When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Welcome to a new episode of Horror Movie Night, and this week we just want to say, long live the new flesh. Uh, Adam is away on vacation this week. He should be back next week or the following week. But in the meantime, we are joined by Allison, who actually picked this movie for us to watch. So welcome, Allison. Thank you. Videodrome is the film we are going to be discussing today. I wanted to say one thing. It should be noted that Allison is one of the original horror club members so she's been picking movies as long as we have yeah this is her 10th pick god damn yeah i guess so yeah (laughs) you haven't missed a round have you i i think and only one of them wasn't a canadian film um yeah i've tried to stick with canadian ones but by and large i think this isn't even my first cronenberg one either i picked the fly previously yeah that's right okay although the best one that you picked is obviously american mary yeah yeah, I like it. <laughs> Although I had a discussion, some guy went on a rant with me the other day because he hated American Mary so much. And I was like, oh, I thought it was fine. Was <laughs> he mad because it's called American Mary, but it was filmed in Canada and by Canadians? Yeah, I don't know about that. I think he just didn't like the movie, but he, whatever. Um, I thought they did clear that up in the Q&A that I saw with the Sasuke sisters, but this is about Videodrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Videodrome uh, is the story of Max Wren, who's the president of a UHF-type station, just without uh, Kramer hosting a bunch of kids' shows. And they specialize in shock, specifically. So he's looking for the next big thing, and that's when he's tipped off to Videodrome, which is like a plotless stage snuff show. Uh, he becomes obsessed with it, and uh, at the same time, he's dating this sadomasochistic TV personality who's played by Blondie. And uh, she, <laughs> starts, <laughs> she starts to become really sexually aroused by the show. And then when she discovers that it's being broadcasted from Pittsburgh, she decides to go down there and audition and is never seen again. Max soon discovers that everything on Videodrome is actually real. 
and presented as political statements. And it's at this point that you're reminded that you're watching a David Cronenberg movie and it gets trippy as fuck. <laughs> Max starts having hallucinations, grows like a weird vagina-like pouch in the middle of his stomach. Uh, he... Or it's just a VCR. It's, Cron- it's Cronenberg. It's vagina. It's a vagina. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. The producers of Videodrome insert like a VHS tape into his stomach that convinces him to kill his colleagues, which he does. But then he's reprogrammed to kill the producers of Videodrome. He does so and then kills himself at the suggestion of his television. And that's that's Videodrome in a nutshell. There's a lot more to discuss there, obviously, uh, that is just the simplistic version of it, because yeah, <laughs> about midway through this movie, it gets fucking weird and confusing as all hell. Uh, I, I was talking to Scott earlier today, and I said that Videodrome is one of my favorite movies that I never feel like I'm in the mood to watch. So here we are with Videodrome. I'm, I'm glad I made you watch it then. Yeah, no, I had a, it was a fun way to start my morning. It totally took my mind off the job interview I had to go to. So, well, that's good. So, Alison, what what was your reasoning behind wanting us to discuss Videodrome specifically? Well, I, I wanted you to discuss a Cronenberg movie. That's why I sent a list of the Cronenberg movie. But for Videodrome specifically, there's a lot about it that I'm not completely sure that I understand or that even David Cronenberg understands necessarily, and that'll give us a lot to talk about. I also just thought it was really impressive for the time it was made. I think he, this was made in 1983 is when it was released. And when he's talking about the Videodrome station, he says, I think it's what's next. And then he's really right that even farther down the road than maybe he might have thought, because then we get movies like Guinea Pig, um, or we get things like Man that Bites Dog, where it's actually meant to be a snuff film. And that's what people will watch. And everyone's saying, oh, who would watch this? Who would watch this? But it turns out that we actually do start to watch it. And I think a lot of horror fans have seen many films since then that you might call exploitation films that is just entirely just violence for the sake of it. I don't mean to say that this is the first time this is done, but you have torture porn is something that's come up. It's a term that people like to throw around a lot. And I think that's what's being described here in 1983 which is pretty impressive and interesting. Yeah, I, I have to agree that there's a lot going on in Videodrome that I like. And, and it is, it, it's probably one of my favorite Cronenberg films, in all honesty. And I, I'm sure at least part of that has to do with how the first half of the movie is just fairly normal for Cronenberg. And then it gets Cronenberg-y real fast. It's um, so weird. I'm so glad it exists, just because it's so weird. And I just think that I think the effects in it are are like above and beyond. It's one of the grossest movies with a low body count. Like if that makes it, like I mean, theoretically, there's a high body count, but like the Videodrome stuff when he's watching Videodrome, that doesn't really bother me. But like the weird growths in his stomach, or towards the end when he shoots the one guy and he just starts growing all these weird, like, tentacles out of his wounds and stuff, is just, <laughs> like, that stuff's I, we'll really that. fucking gross. <laughs> like, I have I have a significant question for that later, so remind me. Okay. That's Rick Baker for you, though. Yeah, no, and... I think he saves this movie. Well, doesn't save it, because that makes it sound like it's in danger, but he makes this movie. Yeah, I, I think that Rick... Rick Baker is as crucial to Videodrome as he was to American Werewolf in London. Without him, it would have still been a decent movie, but his involvement takes it up a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. I'm almost like it. Sorry, I just got a spam mail from Netflix that I find moderately offensive because the title of the spam mail is 
watch more and start reading less. Oh dear, <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, no, that ties no, in just... so wonderfully, but it's so disturbing <laughs> that that's like Netflix's new uh, new advertiser. It's like, put down that book, nerd, Netflix. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that um even more so and obviously Cronenberg couldn't have predicted this in 1983 he he was saying that television would become our lives and that become so much a part of us that it would actually become part of our body metaphorically at least and now you can have entire relationships you can have an entire social life on the internet it can just be completely virtual yeah i mean look at so this podcast you can really live online <laughs> like this for example yeah yeah uh, well, and I think that there was something going on in the ether right around this time, because this was also when, um, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like it. I frankly love it. The uh, the Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment, kind of has this weird, you know, the the balance of television as entertainment and television as in your actual life kind of being blurred with it being about a town that lives inside of a TV station and watches each other's lives for entertainment, uh, almost predicting reality TV by like 15 years. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what was going on with the 80s where like there were so many of these weird eccentric filmmakers being like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that they were because I enjoy watching these movies that definitely seem to be ahead of the curve of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's so much debate now about the influence of violence and pornography and media. What does that actually do to people? Does it have any kind of physiological response? Can it actually become a part of our bodies, literally? That's something that people are still talking about. It's something I was worried about because I go to these horror festivals where I'll just spend five days watching movies, horror movies. And um, I I was starting to wonder, what is that going to do to my amygdala? Is this going to be terrible for me? Um, But I asked someone who I know who's a neurologist, and she said that it's probably fine as long as I'm enjoying it, right? So then at least I'm I'm not thinking that I'm constantly in peril. (laughs) So we could tie this into what Mm -hmm. Adam's dream was, or what Scott's dream was last night. My dream last night. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what what the fuck did I even say? It was um, something like I sent you like a hundred. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> no, okay. So so um, as you know, Allison, I I spent the uh, weekend at Matt's crib back in April for the uh, for the the horror co- or the anime convention that we did did uh, discussion panels at, and uh, and so I got to see his his wall of shame, you know, all his DVDs. And uh, so in this dream, and I never, I really don't have nightmares after watching horror movies. And it's not like I haven't seen this movie like a dozen times before. So it's very strange. But uh, um, in any case, uh, in the dream, Matt told me that I had to pick 70 films. Um, or, or he said, I, I told him I needed 50 films and he found me 70 films um, that I was supposed to write articles about for Geekscape. Um, and, and so like most of them, uh, were, they're all VHS tapes, but they're, most of them were, um, in what looked like VHS sleeves that were in the, the style of the Necronomicon Ex Mortus. So it was like just laid out all on his floor in the basement. And I was like, how am I ever going to get this done? It's going to take like two months and it's going to have to watch 10 movies a week. So, yeah, that's what Videodrome did to me last night. 
Nice. And because this is surrealism, we know that dreams are just as important and real as reality. So. <laughs> yeah, that you was you better get this. That somebody uh, that somebody videotaped so that they could put it on efucked.com. Because that's exactly what uh, the video drum signal has become. I know that uh, Scott and I have a disagreement about the the ending of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. So we, I mean, we can talk about that unless there's some other stuff in the front and middle of the movie that you want to discuss specifically, Allison. Nothing that can't wait. I guess maybe I wanted. I thought we should mention. Well, here's this the thing: the, huh? you should probably take the opportunity to do it now because All right. people forget. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, so let's talk about the symbolism of the peanut, sorry, gun that becomes fused <laughs> to his hand and the organ that's on his stomach. I don't uh, think there's uh, symbolism there. That's just Cronenberg loving phallics yeah. and, and vaginas. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty pervy, and I like it. I like him a lot. I love everything Cronenberg did. Well, didn't you want her to pick the... Um... The, the no, like, not really. Okay, no. I wasn't sure I, if you were serious about that or not. Oh, fuck no. Um, I, I love I, Existence, but Existence is like the spiritual successor to Videodrome, and when Matt said you picked, were p- going to pick Videodrome because you wanted to do a Cronenberg, I was like, what, no Existence? Well, it's just a total <laughs> joke. Yeah, I didn't know how to respond to that because I was like, I don't really like Existence as much as Videodrome, <laughs> but like, I didn't know if you were serious, and I know people who fucking love, like, think that that's his best movie. So I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to get into a fight over this. So like, yeah, no, yeah, she doesn't want to watch that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> it wasn't truly, my top his, five. That's true. But his best movie is probably The Fly. Yeah, just because it's the most accessible. Um, accessible thank you of of all of his body horror but i mean i think video drum is nice because of the, i think it has more straightforward which is ironic to say but i think that it's social commentary is more straightforward i don't know it, it at least with the, like in the fly it's it's a little bit more of a pat presentation where it's like oh we shouldn't man should not investigate uh, i don't know genetic modification or something which is yeah, it's like, it, it's but like it's also a remake so Yes, thank you. But it's also a remake, so it's it's really just extrapolating a 1950s uh, sci-fi and horror trope anyway. So, I mean, I think the Videodrome just has better commentary on the time period in which it was written and produced. Uh, which, I mean, it's, I just like watching movies from the early 80s because the architecture and the clothes and the cars and the hair is all just so ludicrous. I mean... The most ridiculous thing that happens in this movie is definitely the little magical that they have at the end when they're um, when he's about to shoot the the, the guy from the uh, eyeglasses place or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, so my wife Megan, uh, obviously, ninety percent of the time when I'm watching these movies for Horror Club, I'm watching them on the couch while she's watching some non-horror thing on the television and I have my headphones on and she'll like, you know, every once in a while she'll look over and when we were doing, uh, you know, like Toulon's Revenge, she kept on seeing the Nazi titties and and so uh, she's used to it um, after three plus years but last night she saw the guy in the background doing a fucking plie week two of, of weird <laughs> horror movies with plies in them and she's like, what the fuck is that? And, uh, but she's like, oh, I've watched this movie with you before but that still is ridiculous. So, she always looks over at the worst moments. She really does. It's like, but she also has no commentary when it's like James Woods sticking 
a dick gun in his belly vagina. <laughs> but it's with the guy in the unitard making a goofy face is the what the fuck moment. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that the other thing I like about Videodrome is that I feel like Videodrome in the grand scheme of Cronenberg, and I haven't watched all of his movies, but I've seen a decent amount of them. It's one of the ones where I feel like the commentary is clearer than most, but it's also not like so clear that it's beating you to death throughout most of the movie. Right. Um, because I there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of Cronenberg that I watch where I know that he is trying to say something, but as far as I can tell as the viewer, it's just weird for weird's sake. Yeah, like Cosmopolis. <laughs> That's how I felt watching that. <laughs> I'm looking it up. Well, okay, so who's that guy who's from the Twilight movies? Robert is it Pattinson? Yeah, Robert yeah, yes. yeah. He's the one, and he's just getting a prostate exam in a limo while having like a business meeting. It's the strangest thing. Oh, that's that's probably just because he wanted to make American Psycho, but couldn't make American Psycho since it's already been made. Because that's totally something that that uh, uh, what's his name would have would have would have Pat- had. Patrick happen. Bateman. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I would watch Cronenberg's American Psycho. <laughs> then oh, yeah. all I have to do is watch Cosmopolis. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so the ending. Well, Scott, you wanted to say something about the tenant. Was that the thing that Megan had popped o- popped over? And no, 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 no. Uh, she saw the guy dancing like a fucking idiot. Um, but after that, when the um, the guy, the head video drum dude, um, gets shot like five times and then explodes into tumors. Um, I don't really think that that fits with the film. And this is my question to the two of you, particularly you, Allison, um, since you picked it. It's your kind of, you're the definitive answer because also Matt's opinion doesn't count for shit. Nope. Um, <laughs> uh, so he, earlier on, the head video drum guy says, he puts the goofy helmet on uh, James Woods and says, I'm going to leave you to, to it. Um, I can't handle the, the sick stuff or whatever. Um, when he gets shot and turns into tumors, if you listen to what Dr. Oblivion says, to me, it's, or Professor Oblivion, it sounds like Videodrome makes you mutate in various ways depending on what it wants and, what, and, and just like your, your personal physiology, I'm assuming. So I'm taking it that the guy didn't watch the video drum feed or else he wouldn't be able to be in control. But then when he gets um, killed and or when when he gets shot and is dying, there are all sorts of fucked up tumors that are coming out of him. So it seems to me that that would that that is a stupid gross out scare just to show how good the practical effects are instead of sticking with the story that he actually didn't watch video drum. Can I propose something out of this? No. Allison gets to say something first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was reading about this on Wikipedia, and apparently in the first draft of Cronenberg's script, he wanted to have five different characters die that way with the tumors. So I think he well, had to have one. I think I was he was... Like, <laughs> dude, yeah. I, would, I, would, I would love a recut version of this film where five dudes have fucked up tumors that come out of them when they die. 
Yeah, I think you just couldn't part with the idea, even if it doesn't make complete sense. I don't know, but maybe Matt has an idea that makes it. It's make not sense. that it doesn't make. It's not that it doesn't make complete sense. It actually is the opposite of what you have been told. So it's actually like totally out of context in the film, and I don't like that. I would it's argue. I would argue that it's because it's coming from bullets out of a videodrome infected hand. That too. But that doesn't mm-hmm. kill. That doesn't do anything to the other guy that he shoots. Well, fair enough. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Wait, 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 wait. So when he kills the people in his boardroom, is is his hand all fucked up, or is the gun just the gun? I think the I gun's think just the gun at that point. Oh, are you sure? I think it. I think it starts to grow kind of vines into his hand before that. Well, yeah, that happens, and then. Uh, I but it didn't remember. get completely I, fucked up yet. He's completely I, I, fucked up by the time he sh- he is like living videodrome infection at this okay. point. Correct. Yeah. And okay. based on all of the phallic sex stuff, it could be a weird like, hey, it's like an STD. He got shot by this dude who's infected by videodrome, and now he also has videodrome. Yeah. That's totally okay. Cronenberg. I, I, can... I say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's just give him this one and say good job <laughs> yes good job not right. as good as the exploding head from scanners <laughs> so i so the thing that that uh scott and i seem to disagree upon and i'm only assuming that because i said how much i like the scene and all scott said back was k which usually to me means <laughs> i completely disagree with your opinion I I like the ending of this movie. Scott does not like the ending of this movie. And I don't know if it's because of that thing, the the tentacle thing, or if it's the boat scene. But I love the boat scene. the boat scene. scene. I don't like the boat scene. I love the boat scene. I love the boat scene because it it just has that right level of... A, A, it has that level of, like, dread. Because you're like, all right, well, he did all this stuff, but he's still got to die. And you kind of knew that that was coming. There's the tension that builds throughout that whole scene where he's talking to his television set. I love the effect of him pulling the trigger, and then the TV just explodes with, like, intestines for no explainable Like, it's just <laughs> such a surreal, like, two, three minutes. Uh, and then I just like how the movie, like, I literally... Love that it's just a close-up, long live the new flesh, and then it cuts to black and you hear the gunshot and the credits roll, because the movie's the story of Max Wren, so it needs to end right at that moment when Max Wren ends. Uh, so, I don't know, I, I like, I like the, I wouldn't say it's my favorite part, but I like the boat scene, but I know that Scott doesn't. Well, I just don't like it because it feels anticlimactic. But I also think that that's kind of a Cronenberg thing. Mm-hmm. The end is usually pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, that's true. It's just over. They're dead. It's over. Roll credit. Um, what I liked about this is the duplicate, right? That he shoots himself in the TV, and then he does it in real life. Yeah. I like that because I think it's it's sort of teasing us with that whole monkey see, monkey do anxiety that people have about violence on TV, right? Um, And it also reminded me of Brian Oblivion earlier when he says that he only appears on TV if he's on TV, which I laughed at the first time I heard it, but then you kind of see that again. Yeah, well, and I think that that also plays against, um, it, it almost plays against expectations, because if you think about it, in most movies, if there's some weird sequence where a character is like shown a video of them killing themselves which like happens 
not frequently, it's not like the world's biggest cliche, but there is always like that sci-fi or like those trippy movies where it's all about mind control or stuff like that. There's always that moment where you see a duplicate of your main character committing suicide as if they're trying to embed the idea in the character. And in most films, that's the moment where the character breaks from whatever trance they're in and is like, no, I'm not going to do that. But in this one, he's just like, yep, sure, bam. And it's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if they start to show the one scene and then they start to show the second one, you're expecting it to be slightly different, something might change, because who on earth would show the same clip twice? Yeah. Would. <laughs> yep, <laughs> Just pretty much. But that's, I mean, that's all I've got to say about Videodrome. I, I feel like this is one of those movies that, podcast-wise, there's not a ton to, to really discuss because it's definitely more of like let's leave it for the other people that are that are in the Reddit club or or on the Facebook group to to really start fighting with each other about. If it wasn't for the comments, Scott wouldn't know that the killer in Blood Beach is a giant clam. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. I, I'm gonna watch it now. Oh, it's so bad. It's such uh, a it bad movie. Terrible. But I own it. <laughs> not that that's, Dude, a shock that's to not much of a yeah it's definitely not much of a uh endorsement from you you've been lost in the woods for hours now stumbling around in the dark you come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire they see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log welcome to campfire ashes i'm paul and i'm jess Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. So, Allison, do you have, beyond, uh, you know, we'll do the what have we watched this week, but beyond what have you watched this week, since you're not a regular co-host, is there anything that you have that you need to or want to promote? No, not in particular. I haven't really been doing my baking vlog or anything like that. I guess if anyone is in the the London area, or could be in the London area for the end of August, I think there's still some tickets for Fright Fest, which is a five-day horror festival. It's really fun. You should go if you have the opportunity. Okay. Uh, and what have you watched this week? Well, I watched Videodrome today, obviously. I'm just doing a little bit of revision on that. Yesterday, I watched Super for the first time. How did you Shut like up, it? Because I love that movie. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I thought it was... It wasn't it a bit derivative of Kick-Ass? Sup- uh, didn't it come first? Supposedly, come first? supposedly the screenplay for Super and the comic book Kick-Ass were both finished like within a okay. month of each other. But the mm-hmm. only way that Super was able to get made was after Kick-Ass. I think that this is better than Kick-Ass because... Super, I feel like, always stays within the world of reality a little bit, whereas, like, Kick-Ass starts in introducing fucking rocket jetpacks and, like, all this other crazy shit that's not what's in the comic. The comic stays very true to, like, this is what would happen if there was a real-world superhero. I think Super mm-hmm. sticks with that. And I also think that Super analyzes the what the psychological breakdown would be for a human being who decides to take business in their own hands because you have to be kind of unhinged to make that decision. And as you start seeing people as, you know, good or bad, you start to see everybody as bad because, like, everyone's at least a little evil. So I, I like that it really is not – it's not really – it's not a positive story at all. Oh, like, incredibly bleak. Um, and I, I, I like that, and I, I feel like the 
there's comedy there, but there's comedy there that you don't catch until like the second or third viewing because you're kind of so sucked into like this guy and how sad and and like you feel bad for him, but you also don't want him to keep doing the things that he's doing. Um, but let's I, I, also just mention the super awkward sex scene. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, no, nothing makes my man parts shrivel in distaste as as much as that's that section of the movie. But <laughs> great film. Yeah, uh, I, I think that his speech uh, to Kevin Bacon near the end of the movie is one of my favorite speeches in a film. Plus, it's a James Gunn movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so James you can't Gunn. Not man. like it. <laughs> that man's got a great track record. That's true. It feels very kind of like Todd Salons, the sort of atmosphere to it, very depressing. Yeah, yeah, no, I Mm -hmm. can see that. So I guess for things we watch, I also watch Perfume, the story of a murder. I think I was telling you about that, Matt. Yeah. Um, Have you never seen it before? No, but I read the book, so I thought, oh, I have to really watch the film. So I did. It was really, really brilliant. I thought it was beautifully filmed, and it seems like a normal historical drama until the very, until like the last quarter of the movie, where it just goes nuts. Yeah, I really like it until the kind of metaphysical bullshit starts going on. I mean, I understand it's kind of the logical end to the concept of someone who can smell everything. Um, but eh. I just love the fact that he's a murderer and that he has no moral compass. I've, I've considered picking it for Horror Club, but it's just too... I don't know. I, if I recall, it's, it's, it's long. really I fucking can, long, too. Isn't it like a three-hour movie? It's like three hours. <laughs> It's long, and it's also not really a horror movie. It's like a drama. (laughs) Yeah. I can see it being tedious in the way that Sweeney Todd might have been for some people. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was. (laughs) So, I also... I I didn't know this until later. Nirvana, the uh, the album In Utero, pretty much every single song on that album is about a different book that Kurt Cobain was reading at that time, and the song uh, Scentless Apprentice Apprentice is about the book Perfume. Which wow. uh, I thought was fascinating. Okay. <laughs> That's a great song too. I don't listen to Nirvana anymore, but man, I loved that song back the, in like 1995. Yeah, if you actually think about like the the first and second verse of that song, you're like, oh yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. That's about the book Perfume. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just have to think about the title, and yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can only listen to so much of the same two or three albums for the rest of your life but I, I do enjoy In Utero every once in a while still. <laughs> How about Scott? How about what have you been watching lately? Well you know that I have finally made my way through the nightmare <laughs> that is uh, Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys <laughs> and I can tell you it is the worst piece of shit I think I've ever watched I mean it is it is such a terrible film. And I just want to say, uh, go back to the Wolf Cop episode, and you can hear both Adam and I <laughs> telling Scott, you don't have to watch that one. It has nothing to do with the canon of, of Puppet Master. You're fine. Don't bother. And you're like, I'm going to watch it. So- it was it was a personal challenge that I needed to complete. And, and I'm worse for it, but I also love the Puppet Master toys so much now. And I just... Had to, I had to know, so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I watched that, and I, I watched Campfire Tales on Matt's insistence. Um, also, I always loved the. I'm pretty sure, and I've been meaning to ask you this, Matt. Um, the uh, the tagline of that movie was it? You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll puke, you'll die. Um, or was that the 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 creepies or the 
something or other. I was saying, let me walk over to my copy of it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> let me walk over to, oh, I can just check fucking Google. No, the the tagline on the DVD that I have is, deep in the woods, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, well, okay. So, that was the Willies. All right, I'm yeah. watching the Willies it's, this week. It, it um, describes the movie as a terrifying cross between Scream and Tales from the Crypt. It's neither. Uh, <laughs> it was entertaining, even though I, because I I know I knew all four four I think of the uh, of the urban legends that they were going to get into, um, but I, I particularly appreciated the the chick with the the choker under neck when he comes off, then her head falls off, that whole thing. Yeah. I thought that, that was a fun. It was the most watchable of the four, but Matt and I were commiserating on Facebook Messenger about uh, the people can lick two Urban Legend, which was my all-time favorite for a very long time, and I did appreciate the presentation of it. I just felt like all of the suspense is kind of destroyed when you already know that it's a person underneath the the, uh, the bed licking the girl's hand. So. Watch See, and that, that was the only one I'd never, when I saw that movie for the first time, that was the only urban legend I'd never oh, heard. Oh, you didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So that one, I, I I think I said this to you or I said it to a friend. Campfire Tales is not, like, I love that movie because it reminds me of a certain age when I watch that movie. But if you, you know, you're, you're if you have a kid or a niece or a nephew who, like, is maybe like 12, 13, 14 and wants to get into horror and you want to give them something that's not, like, too over the top and too heavy. I think it's a really good, like starter film where it's kind of spooky and it's kind of eerie and it's got like, you know, it's got the boobs and the gore that you come to expect in a horror movie, but it's not like all over the place and it's not, um, it's not like are super you, gory. Are you suggesting that I show my thirteen-year-old nephew some tits? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's not a good idea. Well, I mean, you barely even see them in Campfire Tales. It's like I don't care. It's dude. like I don't want second. my nephew to go home and be like, "Dad, guess what I saw? Well, my first I mean, set of boobs. Well, I also, mean, Allison like, backed me up here. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. That's when you got to sit. Is, him. It is a bit. Yeah, I got to know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I <laughs> want to be the cool uncle. Yeah. Who's so... I'm not. <laughs> listen, I'm not listen. that European, Matt. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um. So listen. This is what Matt. Uncle Matt suggests start them <laughs> off with Campfire Tales and then make them watch Dr. Giggles, which we will be discussing very soon. Is that next week? Actually, yeah, that is next week. Um, oh, no, Dr. Would, Giggles. I would actually say the other movie that I would say is like a good horror light is uh, Frighteners. Um, cause it, so basically all the shit that you want to pick for Horror Club. Basically, well, I would never I would never pick Campfire Tales for Horror Club. Frighteners yep, is going to be Frighteners. I, I hope you never get to that one because I really don't want to discuss it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to pick Fright. Oh, and I think that we've said Horror Club like three times tonight. That's and fine. We're not Horror Club anymore. It's Horror Movie Night, whatever. <laughs> it's Horror Movie Night! Um, <laughs> hey, and also I watched Demonic Toys. Did I tell you that last week or was that this week that I watched it? You said Demonic? you were watching it back and forth in 10 minute increments. With oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, okay, so I just, I got to when. Stuff got really fun in Demonic Toys and just abandoned that idea and uh, just finished Demonic Toys. It was really fun. It's probably, right now, it, it's my favorite, arguably my favorite Full Moon production. Um, because Puppet Master doesn't count because it's just too good to actually be a Full Moon release. Um, <laughs> uh, 
But uh, yeah, Demonic Toys was really good, except for the wisecracking baby, which was really cringy. Um, I, I liked all the other monsters, and I thought that the storyline was great. And also, I took it seriously enough that I was watching it, and it was like Halloween 1928 or something like that. And I was like, ah, uh, was Halloween like a thing that early on, or was that after World War II? And so I actually Wikipedia it. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking fact check Demonic Toys right now. <laughs> Um, um, if the other ones you're planning to watch is Dollman and Dollman vs. Demonic Toys, then they are not going to take away the title of Best Full Moon release. <laughs> I, I know, but I st- those were like, I'll get to them eventually. Well, I'm not. Dollman vs. Demonic Toys, you will literally be able to watch. If you watch Dollman and then watch that, much like when you watch Puppet Master Legacy. <laughs> you can just fast forward. Oh, yeah. Dollman vs. Demonic Toys is literally an hour and eight minutes long, and at least 30 minutes is just flashbacks to the Demonic Toys movie, uh, Bad Channels, and Dollman, just to, like, tie up all the plot lines that need to be tied up for them to get to the fight scene. Man, I love Full Moon. Full Moon was just so good. Like, they, they were such, like, schlocky bastards, and they were so cheap. In like forty five percent of what they did, but that other that fifty five percent was real good. And they also, I mean, I can handle an hour and ten minute movie. When you get to that hour and twenty minute part where it's like that extra ten minutes, you just like, I don't know if I can handle ten minutes of bullshit. Let's just let's just cut that short. You know, I wish that there were more movies nowadays that were like that, where they're like, we don't need ten minutes of filler. Let's just put previews at the end of this to make it an hour and 20 minutes so it's an actual VHS uh, release. Or as, so. I've, or as I've discussed with the movie Shrieker, and uh, I think it's also on Killjoy, and maybe even Ginger Dead Man. All three, of the, <laughs> all three of those movies are under an hour long, and then it's 10 to 15 minutes of closing credits at the slowest speed possible just to get them to an hour and 10 minute mark. I would be really surprised if Santa's sleigh isn't like that too. Yeah, I remember Santa that slave flies short. by. <laughs> it also might be because Goldberg's in it. Was that also did that also? with um, Almost Human. Okay. That movie that came awesome. out last year. So the ending credits are like 10 minutes long because they needed the extra runtime to make it a feature film. <laughs> 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 All right. So this so this week I, wa- I rewatched the movie Found, uh, which I don't want to talk about too much because I think that that's going to be a future pick. But I still, I still say. Found- Can we just not pick depressing shit? Can we just pick fun stuff from now on? Now that we're in horror movie night, can we just only pick fun shit, please? So found's going to be coming up soon on. Our- <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if you pick that, I'm picking seed people. I'll watch seed people. Fuck it. <laughs> and then I'm watching ticks. <laughs> Why are you threatening me with my favorite movies? I don't understand what you're doing. I, I was like, why would I not like Ticks? It stars Seth Green and and um. Clint. Wait, is Seth Green and Ticks? Yeah, Seth Green's the star of Clicks. I've never seen Ticks. Oh, yeah, I just remember the preview from no, like nineteen four. Ticks stars. It's Seth Green, Clint Howard, and. <laughs> Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel Air plays a thug in it. Holy shit! It's fucking okay. Phenomenal. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> I, I'm clearing my plans and watching Tick. <laughs> the other movie I watched was part of a double feature that I got uh, from Scream Factory, uh, Cellar Dweller, which yeah. I had heard of and I'd never watched before. And uh, hmm. it's fun. It's only it's another one of those hour and like fifteen minute movies. Uh, but in the first five minutes, you got some Jeffrey Combs action going on, 
And uh, it's basically about a guy in the 50s who was a comic book artist, and for whatever reason, his one comic book character, the Cellar Dweller, came to life when he was drawing it in this house. Um, and then it's 30 years later in the uh, late 80s, and people find the creature. Uh, and it's just a big practical effect monster killing people in the woods for an hour. So it's, you know, there's not much to complain about there. Uh, the most fun that I had this week, though, was for Weird Ass Movie Night, we watched uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. And uh, we talked about this roughly, uh, vaguely, in uh, the Wolf Cop episode. But I uh, just want to say that not only is Adventure of Buckaroo Banzai a fucking great movie, but it's an awful movie to watch with a group of people who constantly are talking and then trying to figure out what's happening in the movie because... <laughs> A, the logic is all over the fucking place in that movie, and, like, logic is in quotes here. And B, like, it just keeps throwing so much information at you so matter-of-factly the entire time that it's also really difficult to totally understand what the hell's happening. But we watch the closing credits where they're just walking, like, seven times. Because it's the best part in the movie, and I will uh, post those on the Facebook page uh, when this episode gets released. <laughs> so thank you, Allison, for joining us. I know that you said you hadn't Not updated the uh, the bakery page in a while, but do you want to just give the URL now? Just so if you do update it, people can uh, check it out. Yeah, why not? Okay, so it's terrifyingtreats.blogspot.com. Terrifying treats. You say it in such a sweet way, terrifying treats. <laughs> I love it. You know that there's like, it's like Sweeney Todd. There's people inside your treats. Oh yeah, totally. That's part of the appeal. <laughs> that was Videodrome. Thank you once again for listening to an episode of Horror Movie Night. Feel free to check us out on our Facebook page or our Twitter account or on Geekscape.net or all the other many places you can check us out. Also, join the discussion at reddit.com backslash r slash horror club where we discuss these movies every single week and finally send us some emails hmnpodcast at gmail.com um let's see so the last two weeks have been about penises <laughs> so uh you can talk about the castle freak ding dong yeah. if you want to send pics of that <laughs> uh send us your best phallic gun going into your chest vagina over at hmnpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> We'll be back next week talking about Dr. Giggles, which uh, I picked. And I, I think that Scott and I are going to have fun with that. And I bet Adam is going to fucking hate it. So, uh, Dude, no. Pounding <laughs> continues, all right? <laughs> all right. So join us next week for Dr. Giggles. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess.
Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 